Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast brought to you by the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host today, Rich Fay, and I am delighted to be joined at the end of an international break by my colleague, my friend, Samuel Luckhurst. How are you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. This this feels like we're sitting across from each other, so it feels a bit like I know, maybe Emily Maitlis and Prince Andrew, although I don't think either of us... Yeah, uh, me too. Yeah, I don't think either of us fit the bill there, but uh, yeah. It's... Have you been to Pizza Express before? <laughs> I have, I have, and I can recollect uh, you know, the times where I've actually sweat as well. Yeah, the studio light is making me sweat. I do swear I can put that on record. Um, yeah, Samuel, I suppose the international break came at a bad time for United on the back of defeat to Arsenal. It felt like a particularly long two weeks we've had so many off the field incidents obviously United not in the best run of form as well I suppose the place to start now is with Jadon Sancho the official statement from the club in midweek that he will be training away from the first team what is the latest on the situation and and do you see a resolution anytime soon or do you think this is just get the statement out there obviously the press conference will come later on Friday you'll hear that at the end of the podcast do you think this is just a case of of dealing with it for now it would be strange if it was a Greenwood-style month-long investigation. There's there's nothing to really investigate. It's just what what punishment does what he did constitute. And you would imagine that they are looking at gross misconduct and it would be remiss of them not to even consider or, or look at the possibility of of you know, pretty much terminating his contract without giving him a payoff. They did that with Ronaldo last year. I mean, Ronaldo did really go the the whole hog with that one. Uh, with Sancho, it's it's a bit more condensed, but it's still very incendiary. And I still think that whatever happens between now and then, this this has to be his last, probably his last months, if not his last season at United. I, I think the way it's going, he'll do well to see out. I've got to ask, do you, you don't see that. Do you personally not see any way back from him now? I mean, we. I don't think I so. I suppose as sort of journalistic, and the fans are always like, Sancho redemption, you know, he could come on, he could score a hat-trick in a game and things can turn quickly. Do you? Yeah, th- there were probably some acolytes who delus- had you know, delusions of grandeur that he'd start this weekend because they don't seem to have a senior right winger available and Ten Hag's reluctant to use Palistri. But he was never going to play in this game. And they've done the right thing in addressing it now. I mean, some of us were asking the question earlier in the week and we wondered if we'd ever get an answer. And then there it was yesterday afternoon. And it allows Ten Hag to use his stop phrase at today's press conference, which some people will have heard by now. But I, I would be, un, I would not be surprised if he does, sorry, I would be surprised if he does not use the phrase I refer to the statement because he's done that before. But there are other ways of you know, trying to take this take this on. And really, I mean, recent history, there have been more United players banished or exiled than you think off the top of your head. I mean, Ronaldo was obviously one. Uh, Victor Valdez, uh, Bastian Schweinsteiger as well uh, for two or three months under Jose Mourinho. The end was nigh for all of them. Two of them actually did play for the club again. They were very integrated. But with Ronaldo... He just wanted out from the summer. He didn't get out and then he didn't like the way things were going. So he, he forced that exit and that's why United didn't have to pay him off. With Schweinsteiger, he was always a bit part player under Mourinho. I think he only played barely uh, barely 100 minutes when he had some, some games when he did come back into the fold. And Valdez was actually told that he, he turned up for the first game of the season, the director's box at Old Trafford, and he was told, do not ever come into the stadium again 
from Louis Van Gaal. Although I don't, I don't think Van Gaal would have even given him the uh, the, the respect of having a, a face-to-face conversation about that. I think the message was probably passed down there. And with Sancho, I mean, Ty referred to it last week when he said that there's this quote from Ten Hag where he says, "I, I, I forgive, but I don't forget." And you very much apply it to to this situation here. You, if, if United had more forwards and certainly forwards with secure futures, you'd, you'd probably say there's absolutely no chance of him coming back. But there were so many question marks over so many forwards at the moment. It feels like the majority of them, that there's always that slither of hope for Sancho. But the fact that he's already, I mean, his agent is already putting feelers out to see what what could come up in, in January. And it's, it's maybe a little idealistic where they're already looking at Dortmund because he played there and Nottingham Forest because Steve Cooper coached him at England youth level. But I just think that that what he did, I mean, a manager can't back down from that. And I guess, like you said, with Ronaldo's side particularly, they have set this precedent now United, haven't they, where it is, we are backing the manager, we're taking the manager's side because as you said, previous managers, the player power was too much and now it does firmly feel that I suppose some fans say rightfully or wrongly, Ten Hag is having the ultimate say at the club. I suppose that is at least a, a step back towards the sort of Ferguson era where he was the, the main decision maker. You hoped for Ten Hag's sake that Sancho wasn't Joel Glazer's favourite player because that's what infamously contributed to United not selling Anthony Martial in, in 2018 and they've not had a great return on the six, five and a half years that he's, he's stayed at United since then. Uh, Pogba, of course, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was making excuses for him left, right and centre. I think the worst case was probably Cavani. Just He had that seven-week holiday after the Copa America in, in 2021 and you knew that if he ever went on international duty, he was not playing in the next game. And that was to, to the detriment of United, especially when they went out to Middlesbrough in the FA Cup on penalties and the, the one who missed the penalty was Anthony Alanga and... At that time, you're thinking, well, should he be in that position? It should be the senior player who should be on the pitch to take a penalty. And with with Ten Hag, they've restored authority to the manager's role. And that was apparent before these incidents last season with Marcus Rashford being dropped because he turned up late, with, with Garnacho not getting a kick on the pre-season tour. And of course, the most, the most famous case being with how he, he dealt with Ronaldo. The only mistake Ten Hag made with Ronaldo over all that was to make him captain for his final game against Aston Villa. I think it was it was barely two weeks after what had happened when he walked walked down the tunnel before the end of the game against Tottenham, and then he was dropped from the, from the squad for the following game against Chelsea, which was a, a calculated gamble given that United had goal scoring issues then. But it was it wasn't one of those decisions that anybody with any anyone with half a brain would have thought like oh the manager's in the wrong here I remember when the, the Ronaldo interview came out Jamie Carragher whoops okay he's, he's former Liverpool so United fans may not take kindly to mention of him but he said at the time it's like every United fan will back Ten Hag over this it'll only be Patrice Roy and Rio who stick up for Ronaldo but even Rio Fernand said I can't no I can't <laughs> <to> stick <laughs> up for him yeah. when a manager sees off Ronaldo who is probably got the most gargantuan ego there's ever been in, in football. Anyone else is, is small fry, never mind someone who in his two and a bit seasons at the club has, has just not cut it. And United have to consider cutting him loose. So I think that will have to be, you know, there's a hell of a lot of small print in, in contracts and they'll they'll pour over it. 
but I still suspect they'll be reluctant to to just completely, you know, cut their losses of someone who is still a sellable asset. You, you there would still be a small pool of clubs out there who who would be in for him in January. But the problem is he's on such a long contract as well that you United will be making a, a big loss one way or another if he does get sold. Yeah, it was only just over two years, isn't it, since it was almost billed as a bit of a bargain buy. United had waited a year, saved thirty five million pound on on Sancho and like you said, the Ultimately, even for what he's done on the pitch when he's been at his best, is a very small sort of highlights reel of, of big moments. And, and in big matches, he's not always been able to deliver. You think of the goal was against Tottenham, you think of the goal against Liverpool. There's not much more. The goal against City in the game, he ultimately loses. And there's not too much more than that. Um, you know, he makes some good compl- compilation videos. Compilation. I was trying to say compilation of videos, yeah. And good highlights reel at times. But in terms of his actual back catalogue at United he's just not done enough for a £73 million player and you mentioned as well you know you wrote earlier in the year that Ten Hag was losing patience with him then wasn't he? That was April and as I said the other day we made the conscious decision not to do a big headline on Jaden Sancho Ten Hag losing um, patience with Sancho he he hadn't started the previous game so it, it at times you are conscious of looking like a scapegoat and a player and he had gone away for a few months as well. So you factor that into it. And that's what makes his, his statement the other week so bizarre. The, the use of the word scapegoated because I don't think anyone has scapegoated him. In his first season, which was an apocalyptically bad season for United, there weren't many people who were saying Jane Sancho is the scapegoat of this team. It was um, it was. Paul Pogba, uh, given that the, the supporters were telling him to F off in his final game at Old Trafford. Uh, Ronaldo was copping a lot of flack because of apparent lack of pressing. Solskjaer, of course, was sacked. Ralph Rangnick was the interim manager. Harry Maguire, of course, who we'll get on to shortly. Uh, Sancho was a long way down the list of players that were getting targeted. Marcus Rashford got targeted uh, more I mean, by, by the supporters even. He was, he was sarcastically cheered off in a game. He never had that with Sancho. Uh, he had he had one during his time at United. He's had one very good spell when he came back after a family bereavement. He had some time off. He came back. I think it was the early February of 2022, and he he was on a pretty good run of form for about a six week period. I'd say, and that was when he scored that very good goal at City, and he got a couple of other goals during that time, and he was in pretty good form. But other than that. You know, it's it's just isolated performances here and there. Sometimes not over the course of the whole game. His best performance last season was probably when he came on the second half against Leicester, who were very unlucky to be one nil down at half time, and he was a game changer that day. And United ended up winning it three nil, and he got a goal. So you, you need you expect more from a twenty three year old, and he's 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 certainly expendable. And of course, again, I know this will we'll get onto this with the Brighton preview later. He's never really nailed that position that I'd have, has he? I mean, he was signed to address this long-term right-wing issue. Best football's been on the left or through the middle at United. They've already got an abundance of left of left wingers who are inverted. You've got Rashford who plays there, obviously got Gamacho now as well. Do you think that's contributed a bit to Sancho just never really pushing it on the fact that he's never really been able to play maybe his best position, which is on the left, because he was signed to address this right-wing issue? I think it's certainly been an issue. When he was signed, Rashford was in poor form and he was going to miss the start of the season because of shoulder surgery. So immediately you looked at the front line, you'd think Greenwood on the right, Sancho on the left. And at that time, it would be Cavani up front. And then, of course, Cavani being Cavani. 
uh, he's he's not fit enough. He's he's still coming back. He's taken an eternity to be available. Then they sign Ronaldo, so that puts Cavani out of the picture, and it's Ronaldo in. But when Sancho made, it might have been his full debut at uh, Wolves. I can't remember if it was Wolves or Southampton that he started. But the the confusion at United was such that Wolves game. You had Daniel James starting on the right, and Sancho starting on the left, I think, or maybe the other way around. But they'd made this mis- they'd made this mistake with Daniel James in 2019, who was signed as this stopgap essentially until they eventually were able to get Sancho. And they saw him as a right winger because he was right-footed. But of course, they soon realised that he's better on the left and he he had a good start to his United career on the left. Sancho's played his best football for United off the left and he was identified. The club said, we know the right wing is a priority position. But then they did change the goalposts and they said, we knew when they signed Sancho, we knew we needed a winger. So it wasn't now just a right winger, it was a winger. But as you've just touched upon, it's an important distinction if you've already got a lopsided attack, which is what they did have. And it was just about, you know, whilst they had Greenwood, they had had a solution there. He goes out of the picture. Then they sign Anthony for an obscene fee, really. And they've still got this issue because Anthony's come out, the team. And you look at that right-hand side, Greenwood will never play for them again. Sancho may never play for them again. Anthony, goodness knows what happens there. He may not play for them ever again. Ahmad is injured and for a number of reasons may just never hit it off with Ten Hag. And he doesn't start Palistri. Now, I'd I'd like to see Palistri start against Brighton, but I suspect Ten Hag won't. I suspect it'll be a case of Fernandes um, moving there, which is what he did a few times last season. But that's the problem uh, with Sancho and a lot of players as well. They they just they want to be indulged. They want to have it their own way. When at times you see, you'd think there's a big vacancy in the team. Make that position your own. And I, I don't buy the whole thing about oh, you know, the player feels restricted there for you know a good hundred years or so. You had right-footed players playing on the right wing, and they they did all right. And there's no reason why a player still can't thrive there. As we've seen with Palistri, when he does get chances, he does seem to make things happen. Yeah, and we've seen as well in football, haven't we, that for a while, having a striker went out of fashion. There'll be a time when having proper traditional wingers will probably come back into fashion and someone like Palestri will be worth his weight in gold. Yeah, perhaps right you there. could easily see it happen. So, yeah, we'll get on to the Brighton discussion uh, in the third part of the podcast. Thank you very much for joining us for part one. Stay tuned to the end of the podcast as well to hear what Eric Ten Hag had to say about Sancho in his pre-match press conference. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast. Myself and Samuel have discussed Jaden Sancho's situation in part one. Harry Maguire, part two. He played for England uh, against Scotland on Tuesday night, um, scored an own goal. Cue more criticism. The England fans who were at Hampden Park did give some good support at full time singing his name. And we saw, didn't we, when we went to the Arsenal game before the international break, the Arsenal fans were chanting Harry Maguire. Bit ironically, you know, they were trying to jeer him. And it does just feel like the fashionable thing to do now to pile onto Harry Maguire whenever he does anything, no matter how well he plays individually. If a goal's conceded, blame Harry Maguire. If something goes wrong, blame Harry Maguire. It has, you know, every footballer is should be 
subject to a level of scrutiny for their personal performances and you know the fact that they are often held up as role models but the point with Harry Maguire it's gone it went way too far years ago and it keeps getting worse and worse doesn't it I mean it's a pantomime act now and it has been for quite some time I mean Southgate I thought spoke about it really well and that he said he he hasn't got a problem with Scotland fans doing it because England player getting heckled by Scotland fans I mean there's not a lot to write home about there but the 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 most egregious example of it was and and Southgate did he, he did allude to it was England fans about 18 months ago when for no logical reason whatsoever when Maguire played at Wembley must have been a qualifier and he got booed and you think why the hell are England fans booing someone who's actually been brilliant for England and less than a year earlier was was world class for them a European championship that they reached the final in he's never ever been booed by regular Man United match goers and that's despite having some absolute nightmares and he's he's been a walking disaster at times but they've never outright turned on him there was maybe one occasion well you mentioned that previously in the first segment when you had R- Russia get heckled you had Pogba getting told to F off yeah. but with Maguire the match going fans had never never swung that there was, there was one occasion that season when they, they were looking for a goal against Atletico Madrid and Maguire came off and there were sarcastic cheers and that's happened to other Man United players it happened to Rashford that season there were sarcastic cheers when Donny van der Beek came on in a couple of games because he'd become a core celebrity as it was spiralling under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. But the only booing that has happened has been in pre-season games. And without you know, wishing to diminish the, the passion or commitment of, of overseas fans, but the way they behave at a match is going to be very different to how regular matchgoers who've been watching United for years, decades even behave towards the players and you don't hear Maguire getting booed I mean United fans were absolutely against uh, turning on Ole Gunnar Solskjaer in a in an unedifying way until it just got too much at Watford and they thought well if we don't boo him he may never ever get sacked and of course the following morning he was sacked I think with what Maguire's mother said about it in terms of the abuse with, with that there wasn't abuse as such at, at Hampden Park. I mean, he was being heckled and Arsenal fans heckled him as well. And unfortunately for him, he's just stuck in this vortex of negativity that he's not going to get out of until he gets out of United. And it's not just, it's just not lucklessness when, although his own goal was, you know, th- that was more luckless than careless, I'd say. And I'd say the same about his previous goal, which was also a known goal, unfortunately, for him when Severe equalised. Was it the one against Tottenham? Was that last Yeah, one, yeah, when Christian Romero got in his face as well um, the season before last. But unfortunately for him, when he's coming on in games, he's giving opponents hope. He came on in that Severe tie with United 2-0 up at half-time in the first leg, then ended up losing it 5-2 on aggregate. So when Maguire was on the pitch across that tie, United got thumped 5-0 which, of course, is going to reflect terribly on Maguire. And he did contribute to it with um, his, his pass getting cut out for the goal in the second leg. He comes on at Arsenal with United at 1-1, they end up losing 3-1. He looked uncomfortable, I thought, Arsenal, amid the, the cat calls and the goading. He did not look assured of himself. I thought he played with assurance for England in week. When he was on the ball, he was very calm. He used it well. He wasn't flustered. The own goal was was unfortunate. I don't think 
you, you'd hold that against it, but you know as soon as that happens that there's there's going to be some sort of pile on from from low lights online rather than constructive criticism. And it's now that the, with with Maguire, there's been so much written and said about him. There's probably some blame game going on that you can imagine some fans saying, "Well, we've supported him, even though there'll probably be history on their Twitter accounts of them giving Maguire untold stick, and they'll try and accuse journalists or pundits of of having a go at him or, or, or whipping it up." Uh, he's, I think, from the, the the media in terms of the the Eng- those who cover the England national team, he's got a pretty easy ride because he plays well for England. And there are a lot of pundits who sympathise with him um, because, again, I think they, they want him to do well for England. And also there's there's some empathy there as well. But there are other pundits like Roy Keane who just see, look at him and think, how is he Man United captain? And I'm going to you know say my piece on him. And ultimately, there is a reason why he does not start for Man United anymore and he doesn't captain Man United anymore. And... If you were to be brutal about Maguire, which I don't think we have been so far in this segment, but he could have ended this negativity if he just accepted his standing in the game and went to West Ham. I know, you you know... I, first, that's what I was going to say. It's a difficult one, isn't it? Because half of me says, his club manager, national team manager, needs to take him out the firing line. Let him have a chance to even have a break for football for a little while if he needs to. Obviously, that might not do his confidence any, any better, but you get that dilemma, don't you? Of Is it better for him to maybe stop playing for a bit or be taken out of the fire line, go to, like you said, somewhere like West Ham. But maybe he's still got that personal pride as well of, I don't want to give up on United yet. So I can always see from both You can, you can spin it both ways. Yeah. And the, the spin was that Ten Hag was always happy to keep him as a squad player and ha- Maguire was happy to fight for his place. Happy is pushing it. Yeah. I mean, Ten Hag dropped him over a year ago. He's not won his place back. He was available uh, to, to, for sale in the summer. He's he didn't choice now, isn't he, He's fourth choice centre back. I mean, he's he's at least avoided the, the the humiliation of Johnny Evans somehow leapfrogging him, which should never happen. Looking at the way Evans has been playing for United, but he's just not what Ten Hag wants. And going to West Ham would have been the ideal move in that there's European football. It's a club that has got um, a big following in the national media as well. Uh, it's it's a club that. Um, is, is managed by someone who is quite defensive-minded and would protect him, not too dissimilar to Gareth Southgate as well, David Moyes. Going to West Ham would have been good for Maguire. And he... he, he oh, we, he saw, practically we saw what Lingard did at West Ham. Yeah, you know, he revitalised his career. And there was a point when Lingard had left United and people, you know, people don't care. We, we used to... Like, inside a secret here, like, if you put Jesse Lingard's name in a headline, it would bomb. No one would want to read it. But then when he had his West Ham spell, he came back and he was his flavour of the month again. And you, like you said, sometimes you need to maybe take a step backwards and then take two steps forward. And for Harry Maguire, I mean, I suppose the, the element that's difficult is he's never really got to lose his England place, is he? If, if, if it felt like that was at jeopardy if he wasn't playing every week, then maybe he would have left United. I wondered if, if Southgate had fired a shot across his bows by taking him out of the team against Scotland and putting Lewis Dunk in. Because Dunk, I mean... They actually look slightly similar as well in terms of their standing and the way they bring the ball out of defence. And you would probably say the way Brighton are going as well, that Dunk would be a credible candidate to start at Euros alongside John Stones. And now it's a case of getting him 
more international minutes and exposure at that level of international football um, so that he's he's comfortable in a tournament environment. But that's on Southgate, who is everyone knows about his loyalty to certain favourites, Calvin Phillips being another one. And Maguire hasn't let him down. I mean, you look at that England squad, it's probably the strongest squad of all the European teams, I'd say, uh, particularly in attack. And although people will say, well, defensively, there's this issue and that issue... At tournaments, they tend to defend well. Pickford is, has been a good player for England. Maguire has been a brilliant player for England as well. So the way it's looking in shaping up for the Euros looks quite auspicious for them. And Southgate, rather selfishly and rather understandably, may look at that and think, well, look, Maguire hasn't let me down so far. He's probably got one more tournament in him. I'm going to stick with him. But it, he said himself, it's not ideal preparation. And January is not an ideal time to be engineering a move just to ensure that you're starting for England at Euros. There haven't been too many England players who've done that when they know it's their place at stake. It's not It's not the squad's place at stake. I think that's always quite fluid. I mean, that's why Lingard uh, went to, to West Ham that January because the Euros were coming up and he, he needed the playing time because he wasn't getting a kick for United. But with Maguire, there's, there's so much credit banked there that Southgate maybe should have been maybe should have been a bit harsher with him and told him if he had a conversation with him during the summer, look, if you're in this situation again, I can I can get by with you not playing a lot for three months before a World Cup. But if you've not played a lot for two years going into Euros, I can't I, I can't I can't do that. There has to be a line at some point there. But I don't think anybody's expecting Maguire to be taken out of the squad for the October internationals. Even I, I still think even if he doesn't get a kick for United, I think Southgate was so staunchly defensive of him in midweek that yeah. Maguire's got a place for, for that squad next month. And so therefore the player is not as inclined to leave when there's going to be a shortfall in his wages. And um, he, he admitted that, he practically admitted that he and United can come to an agreement on his payoff. I suppose as well, in terms of what happens next in the United career, obviously fourth choice of the season we saw he's only taken four games of the season before he's being relied upon both him and Johnny Evans so he's going to get chances whether whether United fans like it or not over the coming weeks because there's so many fixtures coming up and obviously Ferran's been injured Martinez has had his, his knock with Argentina as well he's not played so I suppose the, the question is what what do you think happens for the rest of the season with Maguire because a January January loan looks so unlikely because you know would have to get someone else in anyway and we saw how difficult that was yeah. in the summer yeah you've already written as well this week that you know a centre-back's being looked at for next summer, it's going to be a lot easier to buy a centre-back in the summer rather than January. So can you do you see, think that most likely that Maguire sees out this season with United and then maybe next summer's when, when he'd actually leave? I mean, so much could happen, couldn't it? I mean, maybe Southgate's conscience would kick in and say, I've, I've got to take him out. But I just think that the, the tone and the delivery of what he said in, in the week about Maguire and how, how protective he, he was of him, I think Maguire's just assured of continuing to play for England and he clearly loves playing for England it's escapism for him he's you know, the, the England fans the, the the regulars anyway not the, the pantomime act were singing his name at Hampton the other night and he's he's always been quite popular with England's following as well since he came into the team and understandably so given his tournament performances but United did some business in January this year in terms of loans but loaning a player out I mean, they didn't. They didn't want to loan Maguire out in the summer. They wanted to sell him, so there'd have to be a big incentive for them to loan him 
mid-season and they're not going to leave themselves short as well if he goes out someone has to come in do you want that do you want the the yeah, the the instability there, but again, as I'm you try to think, whoever who else United could buy. I mean, they've already got Evans in. I mean, I mean that that's the thing. Like they, I thought they 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 did well in terms of identifying Sabitzer as late as they did. I thought he was a worthy signing. Veghorst was not. Jack Butlin was just a body that you know fit the bill, and they they got that done quickly. But that was that was a very minor incoming. But if Maguire's going, you have to have a pretty significant incoming um to 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 replace him and a, a lot's going to depend on what happens between well everything depends on what happens between now and january yeah, that was dutch isn't it <laughs> yeah free agent well well he was in front of us at arsenal as well wasn't he in the, in he, the press box he played so. brilliantly in those uh, legends he's, games, he's and it? he's at, yeah he's 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 close to the analysts so maybe he's got the right view of, of how to go about it um, I mean, D- Daily Blind was on the market in the summer as well. Maybe United missed a trick there, but it's—I it, mean, it's, you, need, you need a crystal ball to see what's going to happen there. But unfortunately for Maguire, when you look at his starts this calendar year for United, I think it's eleven. Six of them were in cup competitions. The five league starts were either enforced or they were rotational, and that speaks volumes. It, it would have done everyone. A favour if he'd just gone in the summer. It was it was in everyone's interest for that move to happen, and and it didn't happen. Yeah, and of course, from the moment Tahar arrived, everyone sort of knew he was a square peg in a round hole. Maguire, it just clearly didn't fit with the philosophy Tahar was going to try and implement, and yeah. I guess it's turned out that way. Thank you very much for joining us for part two of the Manchester is Red podcast. Stick with us after the break for our preview of the Brighton match. Welcome back to the Manchester is Red podcast, Samuel. Brighton at home this weekend then. United have won their two home games this season, rather unconvincingly. Lost both of their games away from home. Lost, of course, to Brighton at the end of last season. What are your thoughts going into this one? Part of me thinks it's United at home to Brighton, so they'll probably win. They'll get a, they'll get a penalty. <laughs> Brighton away is a very different prospect. I, I would typically add back at the Amex this season, but... Do you think that, you know, considering how much sort of turmoil and distraction there is away from the pitch that United can can put things right this weekend or do you think there'll be more misery ahead of that trip to Bayern next week? If they lose, I think it will be the cracked badge week on the back of newspapers, which does Bryson a bit of a disservice because they're a brilliant side. But if you've lost three of your first five Premier League games, that that is a crisis. It, it does feel a, bit, a little bit similar to four years ago when... They came back from the September internationals and they were playing Leicester at home. And Leicester was seen as this... Like the 1-0 record? Yeah, these these upstarts who might, you know, barge their way into the top four. And of course, between themselves and United, did go to the wire that season in the final game at, at the King Power Stadium that United won. But looking at the Leicester team at the time, there were a lot of Leicester players who would have improved United. Yeah, I think we said there's about five or six. Yeah, you probably. think of Madison, Vardy. Diddy maybe. Uh, Ricardo Pereira was pretty good at the time. Ben Chilwell was uh, fit and firing. I think he might have been England's uh, starting left-back because Luke Shaw was injured. And Brighton, I think, are a better team than that Leicester team. The only thing that this Brighton side are lacking is a trophy and you wouldn't put it past them winning the FA Cup or the League Cup or, or the Europa League this season. They've got a brilliant coach. There's a reason why he is seen as a credible candidate to replace 
Pep Guardiola at, at City whenever he, he decides that he's he's had enough at, at the Etihad. And what what Roberto De Zerbi has done there is is form this extremely unique and innovative, I mean tactically innovative to the point that Moises Caicedo looked a unbelievable right back towards the end of last season. But he's and he's a gone to Chelsea. Him. Yeah, he's he's gone to Chelsea as this. As, as the British record um, signing to, to go into their midfield. Uh, Estupinian, what a steal he's been from Villarreal for about 15 million when they sold Cucurea for 60 million. Then United were trying to sign Cucurea in the final week of the transfer window. There's, there's danger ev- everywhere on that Brighton side. Evan Ferguson, Rasmus Hoyland is going to be a hell of a matchup um, if, if Ferguson is fit because obviously he withdrew from the Republic of Ireland squad. But it would be, I, I think it would be huge if United won this game, even though it's a home game and only five games into the season. Brighton are such a good side. Um, they've had the hex over United in recent years. They're unbeaten in their last four. The, the one that they didn't win was, was the cup semi-final, which was you know, technically a draw, but they lost it on penalties. But they've won their last three in the league against United. And... They they certainly deserved it in those those three games. It was it was quite tight at the Amex last season with that that added time goal, and those games have become tight. I mean, Brighton obviously thrashed United four nil that time. Um, in that, one of was that a few years ago? Games. Even maybe in the pot, maybe when they had the FA Cup game at Old Trafford, or was it League Cup game, and they something collapsed late on, but they were really good. It, it was it felt like a League Cup game. I think it was um, even like a Premier League. It was a Premier League midweek game in like December or January. It was, it was February, but it was it was very cold. It was it was it was not nice weather. But even then, as you said, they were sh- starting to show signs of I mean, trying to think what United's most comfortable win over Brighton's been since they got promoted really. There's not really been many if any, have that because you think of the first trips under Mourinho to the Amex. No, they got I think even under Chris Hewton, it was a one nil here, a two one there. They, uh, the most comfortable wins would have been at the Amex during behind closed doors games. But even that was they, a Fernandez tenth minute of other time. You had that one, and there were a couple of there were a couple of three nils as well. They they played at the Amex quite. I think they played there three times in the space about two months, two seasons apart, due to that. Um, very sure. tight turnaround in those very strange days, but that that in itself says a lot about United. They've not won at Brighton with a crowd present since they got promoted back to the Premier League. And at Old Trafford, it doesn't seem like they've they've ever had it easy against them. I think they've always been wins by the odd goal, and and that was the case when when Chris Hewton was Brighton manager in their first two seasons. I think there might have been a three one when when Potter was was coach, but Brighton maybe got it back to two one at, at one point in that game. So I don't think anybody's expecting United to, to run riot this weekend and, and wipe the floor off Brighton. It would be remarkable if they did, and it would certainly be a statement if they did. But Brighton are in pretty good nick, and the only game that they did lose, they, it seemed a bit unfortunate, the manner in which West Ham beat them. They were just they seemed to be sucker-punched by three clinical counter-attacks. And in their last game, Ferguson obviously got the hat-trick against Newcastle. And as I said, I think it would be a... It would be huge if United won this. They've got the injuries to contend with. There's been a hell of a lot of disarray going into this game due to Sancho, due to Anthony, uh, the, the Greenwood situation. Although it feels like they've taken care of it, he's still contracted to United and there's there's always going to be that bubbling under the surface a little bit. So, uh, as I said, I think if United do lose, although there's no real disgrace in losing to Brighton, given the context of it, it, it would be a cracked badge week.
well, says it all that you're saying it would be a good result if United didn't lose at home to Brighton, basically, from yeah, in the way they started. Yeah. And I suppose, as well, disappointed but not surprised will probably be the reaction when the team news drops on Saturday. Like you said, I think you could ask the majority of United fans, they want Pellistri to start on the right. I think we'll expect him to obviously Fernandez or maybe even Rashford repurposed out there just because Ten Hag will most likely go for someone that, that he trusts. You know, United need a, need a result, so you've got to surely pick the players you trust the most. And I suppose, well, Palestri is almost, he's so good off the bench and has always made something happen that he, there's also a temptation to keep him there. It's almost like the Chicharito effect where you'd rather have him off the bench to do something than have him starting games to a weird dissection. But yeah, I was going to ask you, team news, I mean, possible debuts for Regulon, Amrabat, Hoyland from the start, and, and then Palestri. What, what would your team be and what do you actually expect it to be? Yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll speak to Ten Hag in a couple of hours, I think it is, and get clarity on that um, because there are question marks over a lot of them and it's, it's quite telling United haven't put a lot of train. Well, I don't think they put any training imagery out this week or, or footage and normally it's international week is absolutely right for that, but it says a lot about you know the state of the nation that they're not disclosing who's in the training pictures, who's not in the training pictures. Uh, I certainly hope Hoyland starts for a num- number of reasons. I mean, for United's sake, they, they have to start him. He, he did pretty well when he came on against Arsenal. The problem, one of the big problems they've had this season is that in their four games, Ten Hag has picked the wrong striker in all of them. Uh, it shouldn't have been Rashford starting up front. It shouldn't have been Marshall starting up front. Hoyland has been signed as the new long-term striker. He's the focal point. He has to line up. If, I suppose if, a bit of positivity as well for fans. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's a new guy there, there's someone who showed promise against Arsenal, put himself about, uh, did a, had a great contribution for the goal that never was, and and certainly startled Arsenal a hell of a lot Ted more Hart than Hart should have had a penalty as well. The only man who thought he should have had a penalty. You know, well, that I. I I thought after that game, that was the only time that Ten Hag has ever reminded me of Van Gaal with what he said because it was delusional when he was complaining about the the three decisions that went against them. I mean, saying it wasn't offside, it was offside. You're just feeding conspiracy theorists there. Uh, But Hoyland, as as I said, he he did definitely unsettle Arsenal and he's going to need that physicality against Dunk and... They've, they've signed a Dutch defender whose name I can't quite remember. It would be Duncan, Adam Webster, or the Dutch guy. <laughs> uh, Insightful analysis on the Manchester Indeed, podcast, yeah. indeed. I know. I, I wrote his name in a piece earlier in the week, but I, I really can't remember it. But he did start against Newcastle. But Bart Verbruggen will probably be starting as well, which would be interesting to see how, how he gets away, on, Yeah, given that United had a, had a look at him. But you, I think the risk of... The one risk, I, I said, I think we both expect Fernandes to be on the right, but the risk there is that Eriksen has to be repositioned as the number 10. I think two of his worst performances last season was the number 10. And the only two times he played there were against City in the, the win at Old Trafford when he came off probably at 1-0 down, I think. Yeah. And the FA Cup final where he just, he, he, yeah, he, he, was, he was not involved. He was on the periphery. And you knew Ten Hag was going to, use that tactic going into that game because Anthony was injured. So that's the one issue because you're not going to put Donny van der Beek there. He's not going to put Hannibal Mejbri there. I'm trying to think of, could he be creative there with someone else? I don't think so. I don't think there's another real option. And so you're Jan looking Paul at... Jan Paul van Heck. Ah, that, Jan that's Paul van Heck. Jan Paul van Heck. That is the... Seb's, yeah. 
It seems scrawling something down there. I thought it was. It's not a co it's not a copy. Uh, it's not a classic copy and paste one. But I might have to uh, start off that way for um, for the game on, on on Saturday. But if Amrabat is fit, he has to. You know that, that's that's the payoff, and and maybe it's advised. Said didn't he after the Arsenal game he could partner to yeah. Amrabat and Casemiro? I think he, I think he'd like to see the look of that, and I think you could see that certainly happening against Bayern Munich. Yeah, and it'd be good to trial him before Bayern, I suppose, wouldn't it? Yeah, and, and Brighton look. Brighton are a brilliant enough team that they they want that level of respect as well. That you you make adjustments. I mean, Ten Hag did that against City. He did that against. Barcelona last season, two of the you know you think of the most flexible, tactically flexible sides, City and Barcelona, are two of those teams. And Fernandez played on the right against them, and then there would be other occasions where it was a bit, it felt a bit random. I think Fernandez played on the right against Aston Villa, and and scored the winning goal there in that that very gritty win towards the end of the season. So. If you're going to make that adjustment for Villa, there's a chance he's going to make that adjustment against Brighton, especially given the issues on the right-hand side. Uh, but it's, I suppose it's not been ideal coming into this week and the planning for Ten Hag that, that he will not have known the extent of the injuries with, with certain players until he actually saw them or the medical department at United got to treat them. Uh, it wasn't great. I didn't think that Martinez went away with Argentina to, to Buenos Aires and... He, he wasn't in the squad for either game. And of course, he came off injured in the Arsenal game. Uh, you know, I'm sure there were clubs who'd love to impose a rule that if a player gets injured in the weekend before internationals, automatically it rules them out of international squads. But they're, they're not quite there yet. No, I suppose then as well. So of other positions, like you said, we expect Fernandez on the right, hopefully have fallen through the middle. Defence, I mean, like you said, stay tuned for Eric Ten Hag's comments after, after the press conference at the end of the podcast. Would you be tempted to make a change at left back? I probably wouldn't for this occasion. Dallo did play twice for Portugal. He's got the match rhythm. He played one game at left back as well. And I actually thought he played all right against Arsenal until, unfortunately, Gabriel Jesus sent him towards the, the advertising hoardings to, to, to seal the win. He, he, Saka didn't get a lot of joy out of him. And it's it's no mean feat, you know, keeping Bukayo Saka pretty quiet. And, and Dallo did that by and large. So I would stick with him. And also Reguillon, he can't, he can't have played a competitive game since April or May. Um Brighton's a pretty unforgiving team to come up against. It might be a case that he he's eased into the team through one or two substitute appearances before that. I think a lot of players have probably circled it in their calendar, the Crystal Palace League Cup game, because that's going to be rotation central. I think it might be Harry Maguire's next start for United, Reggie on. There'll be a lot of players who will be itching to play in that game. Well, yeah, he's, 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 He's certainly eligible to play in that one. He's not eligible to play in the Champions League, but he can play in the League Cup. But I'd, I'd still go with Dallo and, and at centre half, unless Varane is is fit and maybe there's you know, good news awaits there. He's been reported at Carrington, but that doesn't mean that he's been training, uh, doing full training at Carrington. If if all the centre halves are fit, then it's Varane and Martinez. Um, if two of them are injured, then it's Lindelof and Maguire. If it's just you know Varane's still out and Martinez is okay, then it'll be. Martinez and Lindelof again. Again, I thought they did all right in the circumstances at Arsenal, and it wasn't a surprise that when they went off, that the collapse happened in added time. Like we said, stick with us 
in a few moments' time where you'll hear Eric Ten Hag's comments from his post-match press conference. Just a note as well that the Manchester Red... Or pre-match, pre-match press conference or post-match? Well, it's post-match the Arsenal press conference still, isn't it? It's pre- yeah, the, the Brighton pre-match press conference. So I was trying to get on to what's going to be happening next week because there's going to be a special podcast, yourself and Ty, in Munich. Oh, in Munich, it Happens yes. to be Oktoberfest as well, doesn't it? We've I know, I know. It's, uh, yeah, it's what dreadful. Shame. I know, I know. You'll have to, yeah, get a bit of colour, won't you? I'm going to... to to explore around there but yeah there'll be a special podcast from munich on tuesday of course there'll be a podcast as well on monday as well looking back at what happened at the weekend and loosely looking at the week ahead also manchester Union news check the description of the podcast there is a euro supplement ahead of that champions league campaign read it for all the insight and analysis as united look to conquer europe once again this season thank you very much samuel for joining us today on the manchester Red thank podcast. you rich Thank you very much for joining us wherever you are in the world as well. A reminder, you can watch the podcast on YouTube. Check us out on all the socials as well. Man United, MEN. And we'll see you again next time. Eric, um, could you first of all clarify whether Jadon Sancho is in the squad for tomorrow? And also... There was a lot has happened since you spoke to the media after the Arsenal game. Could you just kind of give us an indication of what's happening and and why there's this issue? We close the game. We um, yeah. We work on the feedback. We give the team feedback. Uh, I think we played very well in Arsenal. You could already see before the game. We trained very well. We played very well. I think uh, we deserved much more in Arsenal. It was not on our side. Uh, that was definitely the outcome of our analyse. And but you see, we are progressing uh, against a good Arsenal. But uh, a minimum, we had to deserve, uh, we had to get a draw there. And I think uh, we should have won there. But we didn't. But we take the performance. And also in the last two days, when all the players they came back, uh, we trained very well, and we are ready to fight Brighton. Uh, very good Brighton, but we are really looking forward to. We have a lot of energy. But I say we have a good fight, so we are ready for it. With, with respect, I asked you about Jadon Sancho and your his response to what you said after that game, and also the statement that came out yesterday. Whether there's been any resolution to that? Oh, I think everything is set. So, and as I said, squad is strong. Squad is in good spirit, good mood. Go into the game. It, it doesn't feel as though there's a good mood when you consider the Jaden situation. Anthony obviously is not available to you. How can the squad be in? They are very good because yeah, you have um, you have sometimes setbacks in seasons. Uh, players are uh, injured or other reasons. They are not available, and therefore, and you construct a squad, and yeah. And the squad is very good and players who are available are very motivated to give a good performance. Eric, can you give us an insight into who is available for this game then? Alessandro Martinez, is he okay to play? Yes. No issues with his injury anymore then? No. Uh, Victor Lindelof's okay? Yes. Uh, Mason Mount? No. Raphael Varane? Uh, no, but uh, both are in a good place. They are, uh, I think, shortly before a return. Can I ask you about Harry Maguire as well? The England manager, Gareth Southgate, and Harry's mum actually have spoken out about some of the abuse that that Harry's received over the last few weeks, months, even years for for Harry, the way it's been going. 
how have you supported him through this situation you see him on a day-to-day basis here around the club yeah but I think already I've said many times he's not he's disrespectful he doesn't deserve it he's a great player have given great performances um, uh, it's crazy but yeah it's how it works and Harry has, uh, has to block this by performances and obviously Harry said as well that he feels he's able to cope with the, the, the criticism, the scrutiny, the abuse. On a, on a day-to-day basis, like I say, being here around him, how do you see him dealing with that? Yeah, good, but it's unjustified. If you see his career, it's, it's, a, it's a great career and it has a lot to come. And as I said, he has to block it by good performances. Thank you. Hi, Eric. Um, how much do you feel sometimes a bit of a, a father figure to some of these players? All the, all the management you have to do around them, you know, it's not just what they're doing on the training pitch, is it? No. <laughs> it's uh, also, uh, you live uh, with the generation, it's about um, team constructions, the group dynamic, but it's always about team. And team is ahead of anything else, but yeah, in the team, anyone plays his role and anyone is different, has um, different characters, and yeah, you uh, you have to uh, to manage those characters. Uh, but also, yeah, as I said, the team is always above anything else. Uh, and you know, we, we know that you can have a very very strict line sometimes. Are you do, do you stick to that with these players, or, or have you been able to give a bit more more leeway to some than others? Yeah, but <clears throat> strict line. This is what the, the point. But uh, the, the club asked me. Uh, because there was uh, no good culture before I entered last season uh, to set some standards, and that's what I did. Yeah, then it's my job uh, to control the standards, and and of course it's not, uh, it's never have been as well that someone when he make one mistake, uh, no, there are it's a whole process uh, um, before you come to a certain outcome uh, about strict lines. Uh, but yeah, if uh, staff of players or, or whatever who eh, if they uh, if there's a structure uh, to cross lines yeah, you have to be be strong absolutely and you mentioned there about, about culture and how the club's changed since you arrived of course Brighton was your first Premier League game where do you see this team now against Brighton again compared to when you first started oh I I, I love it to play them huh? <laughs> because it's typical and we had uh, to great games uh, in, in spring against them. You saw it was really head-to-head. We know we have to play tomorrow to our best um, because they will uh, let you sacrifice and suffer. Uh, but also, yeah, uh, it gives you a lot of options. So I'm uh, really looking forward to going into that fight. Thank you. Okay, well, Sorry. Uh, okay, last Hi. question. Sorry. Do you have an idea how long Anthony may be away from the club? No idea. You've spoken to him over the last few days. Is he okay? Of course, he's disappointed, but he is okay.